Welcome to the Dublin Bible Talks, midweek Bible talks for workers in Dublin. I'm Cameron Jones. Today is our last session in Ephesians, a letter that explains the impact of Jesus' resurrection on all the universe. It clarifies that the big battle in the world is spiritual, and that's why Christians will pray. And please consider joining us live on Wednesdays from your workplace, 1pm Dublin time on Zoom. It's a simple way of identifying as a Christian in your workplace. Simply use the link bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. Well friends, how are we going to address the big problems of the world? Where does where does government spend its money? What's the best place for them to do that? What what drives you to vote for one person over another in an election? What are the priorities? What are the things that drive our priorities? Well, today is our last session in Ephesians, which is a letter celebrating the difference Jesus' resurrection has in all the universe and how we who are Christians are wonderfully caught up into that. And it clarifies for us what the big issue in the world really is. And as we Christians have our eyes opened to this, it will naturally lead us to be people who pray. And you'll see in chapter 6, verse 18, it begins with the word praying. Now that shows us that where we are starting today is not the beginning of a new thought, but it's actually continuing what Paul is already teaching. Neither of is it the first thing that Paul has said about prayer in this letter. Now, the teaching on prayer that we're looking at today is a, a part of a section about the spiritual battle in which we Christian people are involved. So look back with me to uh, chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, where we were looking at uh, how in God's mighty strength and in his power, we are putting on his armour for standing in a hostile environment. For all the hostility or opposition Christian people face, small or large, here or around the world, even the everyday things of life, trouble between husbands and wives, between children and parents, between bosses and employees, they are not properly explained by political differences or differences in worldview or differences in culture or even in personality. No, Properly understood, they are symptoms of the big disease described in verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in this in heavenly places. And so if we think we're going to make a big difference in the world by investing in things like education, or by famine relief, or by better production or distribution of resources globally, or by counselling, or by political action. Oh, not that those are bad things, they are good things, and we should involve ourselves in some of those things, certainly. But if we think that the real battle is going to be fought by addressing those, then we're being fooled. Because the real battle in the world is a spiritual battle. It's the result of rebellion against God. And with all the goodwill in the world, we humans can't do anything about that. And that's why we must rely on God's mighty strength and put on God's armour. And as we put on the armour and as we stand secure, we devote ourselves to prayer, to making requests of God. What does prayer look like? And what is the characteristic, what is the character of Christian prayer? Well, we find out in this section that Christian prayer involves corporate prayer. 
We learn that the only kind of prayer that God will hear is Christian prayer. We learn that Christian prayer is all-inclusive. We hear that Christian prayer focuses on prayer for other Christians. And Christian prayer also is devoted to praying for Christian leaders. So first of all, we look at this idea of prayer in Christian thought, including and prioritising corporate prayer, prayer together. What does Christian prayer look like? Well, it's something we do together. Remember this lesson, this letter is written to groups of people, groups of Christians, to congregations, to what we might call churches. While this contains advice that is useful for our individual prayer, and we are going to look at that, it is primarily written to a group of Christians so that together they will pray. I once asked someone why they don't go to church prayer meetings, and they said that they regarded prayer as being a personal thing, and they didn't think that gathering to pray was very important. Dear friends, that person was wrong. All through the New Testament letters and the example we have of the early church, praying throughout Acts, it's very clear that Christians devote themselves to praying together. Even the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, assumes it it is going to be a corporate prayer. Because how does it start? It says, Our Father in Heaven. One characteristic of Christian people is our devotion to praying together. Now, in our work of the Dublin Bible Talks, this is one of those things that makes our work different to a church. I mean, we don't tend to sing together. We don't do corporate confession and assurance together. And we don't spend time praying together. And maybe sometime in the future, enough of your colleagues will come to Christ through this ministry and we will need to start meeting on a weekend congregation. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's something that I'm praying will one day happen. But until then, we don't pray together like a Christian church will. So if you don't yet do that in the context of a group of Christians, in the context of a church, then do try and find a church where you can do that because... We are taught in this passage that corporate prayer is important for Christians. Now that we've seen that little bit, let's learn about what Christian prayer is like. We pray, verse 18, in the Spirit. Now you might hear some people suggesting that that is a special type or a special technique of prayer, praying in the Spirit, meaning perhaps a particular mystical attitude or an experience. I was once in a in a group who thought that way and we aimed to get into a special kind of almost spiritual state, feeling like we were on a higher plane and then pray something in an ecstatic or unrestrained manner. And honestly, it was something of an amazing experience. And I think we believe that this kind of prayer was in some way better or more effective than other prayer. But the question is, is that what Jesus is teaching us through Paul? the one he sends us, when he uses that phrase by praying in the Spirit. I think the way to understand what Paul means by praying in the Spirit, we should look at the way that Paul speaks of the Spirit's work throughout this letter. And so we'll spend a little bit of time this afternoon doing that together. Go back in the letter to chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. 
hope you've got it open there in front of you so you can follow it along. In fact, we'll look at verse 13, chapter 1, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. There we learn that the Spirit of God, he marks us out for God, like God's stamp on us. We really are his. The Spirit confirms and secures us in what we will receive because we are right now possessed by God. Look down to verse 17 in that same chapter. In Paul's prayer there, he he asks that the Spirit of God work in us so that we would know Jesus better. That is the work of the Spirit. Turn now down to chapter 2, verse 18. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access, that is Jew and Gentile together, both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. The work of the Spirit in unity with the work of Jesus Christ is to provide both Jew and Gentile together access to the Father. Now as we think about prayer, that's what we need, isn't it? Access to the Father. Now look down to verse 22. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. The Spirit of God is not just how we come to God through Jesus Christ. He is also how we Christians, particularly as we gather, have God dwell with us. Look down now to chapter 3 verse 5 where Paul is speaking about the mystery of Christ, that was, which was hidden, that is now revealed after Jesus' death and resurrection. And he says, It was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Now look down to verses 15, uh, 16 and 17 in that chapter where he says, I pray that out of the glorious riches he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The work of the spirit is to strengthen us to grasp what Jesus has done for us, that he really would take up residence in us by a strong and secure trust by faith. And we'll just speed up a minute and look at chapter 4, verse 3. We see that the Spirit is the one in whom we have unity with each other and whose leading we seek to keep faithful to. In chapter 4, verse 30, the Spirit is the one who seals us for the day of redemption so that we can be certain on judgment day. In chapter 5, verse 18, we're not to be filled with wine, but instead with the Spirit. And most importantly, the verse immediately before our passage that we're looking at today, chapter 6, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The powerful weapon of the Spirit is God's Word, which declares Jesus is Lord, who died and rose. And so following all that through, it seems that to pray in the Spirit is to pray according to God's Word. We pray in the one who gives us access to the Father. We pray in the one who has revealed to us the mystery of union with God and with each other through the death of Jesus Christ, who has marked us as God's property for an eternal certainty. 
the one by whom Christ dwells in us as a group of people, the one who strengthens us in our trust and our commitment to him, the one who by the word of God teaches us what is important as we pray. And so we find through all of that that to pray in the spirit simply means to pray as a Christian. As someone who is Christ's person, friends, there is no other way to pray than to pray in the Spirit. There is no other way a person can expect to be heard by God other than praying in the Spirit. So if you've ever had a friend who is not a believer come to you and they ask you to pray for them, they have come to just the right person because they, they are not in the Spirit. They have no right to come themselves to the Father because they would not be praying in the Spirit. But they have come to someone who God will listen to. Now do you begin to see how radically privileged your colleagues are to have you in their team someone who will lift them and their needs before the almighty king of the universe. They may not appreciate it, but do you see how extraordinary a thing it is for you to be able to say to a colleague who has shared a problem with you, I'll pray for you. So prayer in the spirit, it is very simply but not insignificantly, the prayer of a Christian person. But what does Christian prayer look like? How is it practised? Well, that's what we look at from verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Notice the repetition of all, <laughs> all times, all occasions. Our work of standing firm as disciples of Jesus is not something we do part-time. And so we pray on all occasions. And Christian prayer is not just something we do as a ritual. It's not just waiting for special occasions or special times of day. It's not like visiting hours at the hospital. But we can and should pray at any and all times. Friends, how will that affect our prayer as Christian people? Let me consider some things with you. What do you do each and every day? What's the pattern of each day for you? How about tying short prayers to those things that we do at every day so that we begin to be practising praying at all occasions? This is not a rule, it's just a hint, but... Um, giving thanks for letting you pass through the night unharmed when you wake up. Asking that God will use you in his service throughout the day, just as you open your eyes, as your first thoughts of the day, shoot up a prayer to God, thanking him for getting you through the night and asking you, asking to help you to serve him throughout the day. And when you shower or bathe, may, maybe you can give thanks for the work of Jesus that cleanses you from within. And as you see the sunlight, you could thank God for the light of the sun and ask that you walk each step of the day by the light cast by Jesus the sun 
and the light of the revealed word of God. And as you eat your breakfast, just use that as a trigger to ask God that he would remind you to also eat from the bread of the word of God and eat of the bread of life, Jesus. And as you prepare for a meeting at work, look forward to that day when you will meet together with all God's people in glory and pray for each person who's going to be there at the meeting that they will come to know Jesus who is the Lord. And ask that you would conduct yourself in a way that demonstrates that you are a servant of King Jesus above all else. Christian brothers and sisters, let's be people who pray on all occasions and use every occasion to pray. For what kind of things do Christians pray? What does it say there? All kinds of prayers and requests. In the same way as a Christian's life should be filled with occasions of prayer, there is no area of life that we will exclude from our prayers. Praying in the spiritual battle of everyday life. If the battle we're facing is spiritual and going on in the everyday things of life, things at home, things at work, being alone, in the company of others, washing the dishes, fathers teaching children, children obeying parents, being a good employee, drinking coffee or tea with a friend as you read a book, every activity of every day while we wait for Jesus' return is a battlefield where we seek to stand as Christ's people. And so our prayers will be filled with all kinds of requests because all kinds of issues will present themselves. And we understand that all kinds of issues are the stuff of the spiritual battle. And so we bring them all to the one who has won that battle, to the one who has mighty strength, and we ask him for what we need to go through our lives obedient to him. But we keep forgetting how important this is, don't we? And so the next instruction is very important. With this in mind, be alert. This language continues the military-style language that Paul has been using about the battle and the armour. It is God's armour, that which is his as the king who has won the war for us and fought the battle for us. Just like the Israel, in the days of the Israelites in the Old Testament, David uh, David won the battle, but the Israelites shared the victory over Goliath. And so we, as followers of the great King Jesus, stand on the victory that he has won. But while we wait for our great King's return in victory, we're told to watch and pray. We wear armour that is invincible, God's own armour, but there's still an enemy who delights in making us stumble tempting us to shift from standing firm on Christ's victory. So we stand alert, watching, holding the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, as we pray in the Spirit, pray as Christian people. Now, it's not easy to be constantly alert. Being a Christian is not something that we relax into. It requires a discipline. It requires a self-control. It requires a vigilance. Now I wonder if you noticed a similarity between the phrase that Paul uses here and the request of Jesus that he made of his disciples as he was in the garden about to be arrested. 
one of the books I read during this week, uh, preparing for this, showed that the early Christians would use this kind of language to talk about not falling back into the sleep of this world, but to remain awake to the priorities and lifestyle of Jesus' coming kingdom. We do not want to be one of those Christians who is held up as an example of hypocrisy, do we? No, we want instead to be constantly on our guard against anything in our lives that would cause us to fall, to watch and pray, knowing that the King is just about to return. For whom do we pray? Well, look back to verse 18 again. And always keep on praying for all the saints. All the saints. All those others who are disciples of Jesus, who with us are made holy. That's what a saint means. Someone who has been made holy before God. Made acceptable to God. Those are the people for whom we are to concentrate our requests, according to the teaching we receive here from Jesus himself through Paul. See, don't leave out in your prayers for any reasons uh, anyone who is a Christian particularly who, who you might not get on easily with. After all, Jesus even tells us to pray for our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. If we are one in Christ, then we are to be praying for all of the other Christians that we know and even those we don't. All of them. Especially if they are people who you're meeting with regularly. In our prayers, there's no place for class or personality. If there's no longer any division between Jew and Gentile, but we are all equally God's people as we come to Jesus, then we pray for all of God's holy ones. We pray for all as we find out the need. I do hope that you spend praying for each other in this group. Uh, I aim to pray for each of you every day. I open the WhatsApp group list and I work my way down through that list and pray for you all. When you're speaking to a Christian friend about a struggle that you're having and you've thought about it in the light of Jesus' lordship together and you've considered what the Bible has to say on that subject and you've tried to be a godly and wise friend in the conversation, ask then and there with that person, with that Christian person, with that saint, how about we pray together? Now, Christian friends, as a natural as that is in the world's pattern of thinking, this should be one of the most natural things in the world for us who are Christian. Together as brothers or sisters in Christ, to bring our requests to God. Oh, it doesn't have to be a fancy prayer. It doesn't have to have fancy words. It could be something as simple as, Father, you know what we've been talking about. Would you give us the wisdom and strength to be godly in this matter so that it will bring glory to Jesus in all we do? Why couldn't you do that? I think we sometimes feel embarrassed to do it, but why? There's no need to be embarrassed to talk to our Heavenly Father together. But I struggle to do it, and I can't quite understand why, but maybe that's a part of the spiritual battle that's going on. So we need to work at doing it, and maybe start doing it on all occasions. 
If you're interested in reading more about the about prayer, uh, can I recommend a book to you? Uh, one by Don Carson. It's called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. Don Carson, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. It's a book which goes through all of the prayers that Paul prays in his letters and just draws out some things that we can learn from that. Some other things that I do, one thing that I've spoken about before, is uh, using the fingers on your hand associated with um, a person for each finger. Who are you praying for? I pray for this person and this person and this person and this person and this person. And maybe <laughs> you can add another hand to it. Yeah? Find people who have been believers for a long time and ask them what they've learned over their years of being a follower of Jesus that has made their prayer life easier and learn from them. Maybe you could take some time today to think about what patterns you've used and maybe some that you've fallen out of using and to commit to start praying in those ways again or methods that you continue to use that may be of use to others and maybe you could share those in the WhatsApp afterwards. Answer the question, what do you do that helps you pray? Now, it's not a hard question. And in fact, rather than waiting until the end of the session, I'm going to just give you 30 seconds to think about that now, because otherwise it might get lost in what we go on to look at again. So I'm just going to give you 30 seconds now to think about that aspect of prayer. having prayed numerous times for the Ephesian Christians and asking them to pray as Christian people, Paul goes on to ask for prayer for himself. And we can learn about our prayers from what he asks for. So let's have a look at verse 19. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly or boldly as I should. Paul is a man so profoundly changed by the message of Jesus that his requests for prayer are entirely centred around that message. The fact that he's in chains we'll get to in a moment, but do keep that in mind, that this man is in chains as he asks for what? Also for me that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. His life is so turned upside down by the message of the crucified and risen Jesus that wherever he is, the speaking of the gospel is his greatest priority. Whenever he opens his mouth, he wants to speak of Jesus in a way that glorifies him. Paul has been constantly reminding us through this letter of the extraordinary plan of God to glorify his son through all of history by the cross and by the resurrection. 
And because this is the most important thing in all of history, he prays again and again that Christians would know this truth better. And because he knows this is the most important thing in all of history, the great mystery that has now been revealed, he devotes his life to speaking about it. And if this is God's great plan, then it has to be the priority of all God's leaders to be speaking this. All devoted Christian people will make a priority of teaching the message about Jesus. Now, Paul was a very caring man, and and he sees that pastoral care, care for a group of Christian people, is a consequence of the great message about Jesus. And so his top priority is always speaking that message about Jesus. So, friends, pray for Christian leaders, that they will not be distracted from that great task. In that way, please pray for me. One person I walk the dog with, um, he keeps on asking me how how this message, how this work is going, which is really nice. I'm glad that he remembers that he keeps he keeps bringing it up, and he keeps giving me advice as to how I might improve doing the work. He works in, um, he's trying to start a podcast himself, and I appreciate his advice. But he thinks he thinks my aim is to become something like an influencer taking what I do and gaining followers that will allow me to monetize Dublin Bible Talks. And and while I'm grateful, he just doesn't get what I'm doing. He doesn't get Christianity. I don't want to gain a following that will allow me to buy a Maserati or to give one away. My objective is to make Jesus known and equip you to make Jesus known. So I pray that I will, wherever I am and wherever, whenever I open my mouth, that I will be aiming to speak about Jesus, or at least speak in a way that honours him. When I'm reading a book in a cafe, if a person talks to me, as sometimes happens, I, I pray that I will, I will take the opportunity to speak about Jesus to them. When I'm walking the dog and I meet people and I have chances, that I will speak of Jesus to them. And I'll be praying that you'll be doing the same thing in your workplace. Because what I'm doing each week with you is so that you will grow in your confidence in Christian faith so that you can be his representative in your workplace. The way I prepare the talks are designed to help you read the Bible for yourself and with others. But please do pray for me in the same way as Paul asked for prayer and pray for other leaders in the same way. But you'll notice that Paul is not just a great missionary, he's not just the great missionary apostle. Remember, he's writing a letter from prison. He's in prison for insisting on spreading this message of the Jewish king who was crucified and raised again and is the king of all creation, whether people believe it or not. And that's a message that people find offensive. It's a message that, while peaceful, ends up causing disorder wherever it goes sometimes even causing riots. And this man who is in prison, he needs prayer. Now, what would you expect a person imprisoned to ask for? If you were in prison, what would you be asking your friends to pray for? Well, I'd be asking for prayer that I'd be sent free. I'd, be, I'd want to have people praying for that above all else. But look at what Paul prays for. The end of verse 19 boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly, fearlessly, as I ought to speak. He uses the word boldly or fearlessly there. 
<laughs> he repeats it. Paul prays to be fearless. Why? Because the situation in which he finds himself is fearful. He may even be facing death as he waits there in chains. And rather than praying for freedom from the fearful situation, he prays for boldness, fearlessness in the face of fear, boldness in the face of danger, so to he can speak again the message for which he is in chains. Alex and I have a friend who is a Christian minister in northern Nigeria. I've spoken to you about him before. It's a region of the world that is hostile to Christians. It's difficult to predict when people will be hostile and riot against the Christians and when they won't. My friend has a wife and five daughters, and we've twice received an email or a text from him requesting urgent prayer. The prayer request was urgent because there was a mob of Christian-hating men outside the house. And if they came in the house, they would do what they have done to other wives and daughters of Christian ministers, and then perhaps kill them, and the, kiss the husband would be beaten and killed afterwards. In those urgent emails, and every other email we've received from him and his wife, they have never once asked for the persecution to stop. They have rather asked that they would remain faithful and would continue to speak the message of Jesus. Now I praise God for my friend and his wife and for his family, that they have been, they've been made holier by their suffering. And I don't envy their suffering, I don't want that suffering, but I do desire their faithfulness that has come from it. So as we pray for suffering Christians, let's pray that they remain faithful and continues to speak the message of Jesus. But what about ourselves? Friends, this helps us think about ourselves in the world too. Do you see what Paul called himself? He calls himself an ambassador. Now Paul's in Rome, he's about to speak to Caesar, representing the kingdom of God. Having been born in a Roman city, Paul has the right to call himself a Roman citizen, but he's actually a citizen of another nation which is greater a kingdom that is greater than Rome in that age. And being a citizen of Jesus' kingdom makes him a stranger in a foreign land wherever he finds himself in this world. But Paul is not just a citizen. He has a particular position as an ambassador. He's given the task of promoting the interests of Jesus' kingdom to which he owes his allegiance. Now, if you are a Christian person, wherever you are in the world, you are a foreigner. It's a very important thing to get into our minds, friends. If we are Christians on this call, we are not primarily Irish or Australian or Mauritian or English or South African or Kenyan or Ugandan or whatever nationality you are. You, are, uh, you know, of course, that Alex and I are Australian. And as much as we love Ireland, and we really do, as much as we try to use the word home to speak of here, where we really have made our home... We still have our accents. There are things that we will talk about, about our lives, that reflect our Australian attitudes. There are things that we grew up with in Australia that we love and we miss. We, we loved fresh swordfish steaks and flathead, and we, we quite like the way that the electoral system works. And we, we don't mean it to come out of our mouths most of our time, but try as we might, we, we speak of Australia with a sort of fondness in many ways. 
And perhaps there's a way we consider our lives and speech here as Christians. We know some things about the kingdom of which we are citizens, which is better than Sydney, better even than Dublin. We, we know about the king of that kingdom. We know how good he is. And because we love our kin, because we long for his coming kingdom, we, we, we know that we will not have any suffering or mourning or pain anymore when we get to that kingdom, because all of that will have passed away. To another church, Paul wrote, again thinking uh, that he might get executed. Uh, he didn't know which would be better. He wanted to stay and serve the church. But to be executed and then be with Jesus would be far better. Oh, Christian friends, don't we long to get home? And if that's our home, if that's where we find our citizenship, and if that really does mean everything to us, if we really are seeking first the kingdom of God, then our political, our societal, our cultural, our behavioural attitudes will be radically transformed. And we will speak with longing about the land of which we are citizens. Now, not all of us have the post of ambassador like Paul had, but all of us as Christians are citizens. And if the ambassador, experienced and knowledgeable as he was in proclamation that was his, if he asks for prayer, then friends, we do need to be praying, not just for other ambassadors, but also for opportunities ourselves to speak, praying that we will speak without fear and praying that in speaking, we will clearly communicate the message about Jesus, who is the King. So as we come to the end of this letter not just this talk. Just consider how is your prayer life going to be transformed by what we have learned through this letter to the Ephesians? Where does it challenge you? How can you apply the principle, one of the ways that uh, I like to add into my own prayers, I'll pray um, for, for a person and then put in the words, so that... I pray for Hilton in his position in uh, the company that he's working for so that Jesus will be glorified in the work he does. In your prayer, put in a so that and have Jesus the focus of the so that because it's all about Jesus. Is the reason um, that you may not go to a prayer meeting of your church for any reason has that been dealt with by this passage that we look at and what kind of a christian leader are you praying for and what are you praying for them thank you for listening to the recording of the dublin bible talks you can join us in real time on Wednesdays at 1pm Dublin time on Zoom, bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. Mm -hmm.